We are going to read the story together. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was an eyewitness to what happened that day, and he recorded it for us in his Gospel. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9, the first eight verses, and we're going to read this man's story. Starting in verse 1, it says that Jesus climbed into a boat, went back across the lake to his own town. And some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child or my son, your sins are forgiven. Some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man, he's speaking of himself, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. This is a a declaration. He is claiming that he is God, that he is the Messiah, the chosen one. Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up and went home. And fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen, and they praised God for sending a man with such great authority. Another eyewitness named Mark gave his account of what happened that day in his gospel. And in Mark's account of that day, he gives us details of how they actually got this paralyzed man in front of Jesus and how they... Uh, tore open a part of the roof and lowered him down in front of Jesus among this crowd that was pressing in on him. It, It is an incredible story of friendship. It is an incredible story of faith. There's this incredible miracle with a powerful point. And the point that Jesus was making is that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins because he is God. Maybe when you read this story, you've got some of the same questions that I had when I read it. This guy asked Jesus to heal his paralysis. He had a physical need that he needed Jesus to help him with. And Jesus does. But where does he start? Jesus started with the words, your sins are forgiven. It's interesting. I read that, I'm thinking, wait a minute, time out. Did did this guy, did I I miss something? Did this guy ask Jesus for forgiveness? Where is that? Was there a conversation of repentance that Matthew and Mark didn't include in the text? Maybe we don't have a a full transcript of the conversation, the back and forth between Jesus and this this man, but I read that, and I think it does raise a, a difficult question in our lives today. And it's this, should we forgive those who don't ask for it? Have you ever felt that tension? Have you ever wondered that? Do I have to forgive someone who doesn't ask for it? I know this, I know we've all been hurt by other people. I know we've all been offended by something that someone has said or something that someone has 
done. I know we've all had to make decisions in life on how we're going to handle those situations. I'm not saying all the decisions that we've made have been good or right, but we all have to make decisions when we're hurt, when we're wounded, when we're offended. We decide how we're going to process it, how we're going to move through it or not move through it. We make decisions on what to do with that. And there's these questions that come up in those times, like what are we supposed to do when someone wounds us and they don't ask for forgiveness? Maybe they don't even want to be forgiven. Maybe they don't care that they hurt you. Maybe they don't even think that they're in the wrong. Maybe they didn't even know they offended us. This last two years, yeah, our country's been divided over political issues. Our country itself has been divided over COVID response and mitigation and all those kind of things. But it's been honestly kind of disappointing to see that that division has worked its way in the churches. I've been, maybe it was like this in the 70s. I don't know if it worked its way in the churches over Vietnam. Maybe it did. I, I wasn't around. So I don't know what that was like. But all my life, my experience has been there's different opinions all the time. We don't all think the same thing, and we, we don't all have the same opinion on lots of stuff. But this was different. This was like, I can't be in the same room with this person because they don't believe what I believe. We're talking about Christians in churches. And quite honestly, it was kind of sad and disappointing to see. What do we do with that? Because what happened, and I'm not saying that our church was riddled with it. Uh, We were touched by it. But when you've got one person that says, I'm not wrong, you're wrong. And this person says, no, 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 no. I'm right and you're stupid. Right? What do you do with that? Should we forgive those who don't ask for or don't think that they need it? I didn't do anything wrong. If you would think like me, we'd be on the same page and we'd be fine. This paralyzed man came to Jesus for physical healing. But did you notice? Jesus dealt with his spiritual need first. In fact, I wonder if this man, I wonder if the, if the need for forgiveness in this man's life, I wonder if it was even on his mind as he was being lowered down in front of Jesus and in the middle of this crowd as the crowd pressed in on Jesus that day. We forgive those who don't ask for it. Let's look at even more of a vivid picture of this. Go to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. We're going to go to the cross. That was a, it's an interesting question. There's some interesting dynamics there, but this one is really in our faces. If we go to the cross and we're in this moment when when Jesus is on his way to be crucified, Luke 23, look at verse 32. We'll jump into the story there. These two criminals that are being led out to be executed with Jesus. And they're in this, 
I'll describe it as a parade route on their way up to the top of this hill called the Skull. This is where they execute people. This is where they do crucifixion so, so everyone can see it. Don't mess with Rome or this is what will happen. Verse 33, when they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed Jesus to the cross and the criminals were also crucified. One on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. In this moment, as Jesus is nailed to a cross, fighting for every breath, the first words that we hear are this, this prayer, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And look what's happening. At the... At, on the ground level, these soldiers, it says, were gambling for his clothes by throwing dice. The, verse 35 says the crowd that's watching and, the, and these leaders, they're scoffing, they're mocking him. You saved others, let him save himself if he's really God, if he's really the Messiah, if he's really the chosen one. Oh yeah, you're the king of the Jews. Mocking him. That's what's happening as Jesus hangs from the cross. And yet his first words are this prayer, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. What? The people that Jesus was praying for had just arrested him, put him on trial, told lies about him, manipulated the justice system so they could get him executed. They tortured him with bone-tipped leather straps, jammed a crown of thorns onto his head, spit on him, mocked him, forced him to walk this parade route of humiliation to the top of this, this hill called the skull, nailed his, his hands and his feet to a cross, and while he's hanging there, they're mocking him. They're, they're gambling for his clothes. And Jesus prayed for them? Th these are the people. These are the people? That Jesus asked God the Father to forgive because they don't know what they're doing? What do, we, what do we do with this? I do think that we kind of understand that they don't know what they're doing part of this. There's people all around us every day that, that they don't really know that what they're doing is wrong. There's people all around us every day that think that affirming and celebrating and participating in things that God calls sin, they believe that it's good. They believe that it's healthy. They believe that it's honorable and right. They don't know what they're doing is wrong. Maybe you've seen these commercials. It blows my mind. I see these commercials on TV for these drugs that treat diseases that are the direct result of behavior that God says is sinful. And the message in the commercial is, here's a drug that you can take so that you can continue doing the behavior that resulted in this disease. Not, hey, stop doing this behavior that resulted in disease. No, here's a drug so you can keep being you and you keep doing this behavior don't know what they're doing 
is wrong. I think we can get that. But what about this forgiveness, this, this forgiveness that Jesus prays for? Are these people no longer accountable to God for what they did to Jesus? I mean, they didn't ask for forgiveness. They thought what they were doing was right, like Jesus deserves it. I want you to imagine hearing Jesus utter these last words from the cross. Like, imagine that you're there. You hear that. You hear him say that. You hear him pray that. Would we not wonder to ourselves what that means for us? Like, wait a minute. Am I supposed to forgive people who hurt me and don't ask for forgiveness? Someone says something that hurts our feelings. Someone breaks a promise. Or they don't follow through with something they were supposed to do. And it messes things up for you. Maybe it messes up your day. Maybe it ruins something even bigger than that. Maybe someone betrays you. Maybe someone abuses you. Or worse yet, they betray or hurt or abuse someone that you love. Which I would argue oftentimes is even more painful than if it had happened to you. And it, it could be anything. It could be anything from a careless word that wounds your heart or hurts your feelings to a criminal act that leaves lasting scars in your life. And we're left with these questions. What are we supposed to do with these painful wounds? Am I supposed to forgive if they haven't asked for it? They're tough questions. And I want to start with what happened on the cross that day when Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. It's important for us to understand what was not happening in that moment. Jesus was not giving out a blanket absolution to those who had wronged him. It's not what that was about. This was just Jesus following through with what he taught us. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus teaches the disciples, he teaches us, he says, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you, pray for those who abuse you. And that's exactly what Jesus did from the cross. He, he followed through, he demonstrated, he did what he taught us to do. And in the most extreme of, of circumstances... This was Jesus asking the Father not to hold a grudge against these people to leave the door open for the possible reconciliation. If, if someday in the future they realized what they had done and they confessed and they repented, that God would not have condemned them forever to let the door open for reconciliation in the future. When someone hurts us, there can be this temptation, there can be this tendency sometimes to say to ourselves this moment when we say, you know what, this person is dead to me. I don't want to walk around angry, I don't want to walk around with bitterness in my heart and ruin my own life, but I'm done with them. I'm just not going to think about them anymore. 
And, and so the door to any future reconciliation is slammed shut, it is locked, and the key is melted. And there's this attitude sometimes. It's like, you know what? Lose my number. I'm done with you. You're dead to me. What did Jesus teach? What did he demonstrate from the cross? Love your enemy. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now think about that. Let's say you pray for the person who abuses you. You pray for your enemy. You say amen. That person doesn't stop being your enemy when you say amen at the end of that prayer. In fact, they may be very content to remain your enemy. They may not think that they've done anything wrong. But as followers of Jesus, we need to be ready to forgive. To allow the possibility to, to, not, to not lock that door, to leave it open for some possible future reconciliation. I think it might be helpful to define three or four important terms as we think about dealing with our hurts, as we think about how we process through and deal with our uh, offenses that, that people have done to us. I just have four different words. Just make sure we're all on the same page. Here's the first one, forgiveness. How do we define forgiveness? It is the releasing of anger against someone who's wronged us. It's, it's releasing that anger. It's choosing not to be vindictive, choosing not to be vengeful, choosing not to be bitter or to hold a hateful grudge, wishing that someday they'll explode by lightning outside. That's forgiveness. Confession is another word that we need to define clearly. Confession means literally to say the same thing as, to agree with, with someone uh, that what I said, what I did was wrong. I, I freely admit that, that, um, that I stepped over the boundary line. I wronged you. No excuses, no rationalizations. Confession is agreeing, yes, I was and am in the wrong. That's confession. Repentance goes along with confession in this. Repentance is a little bit different in that it means to stop what you're doing that is wrong, to stop that behavior, to stop the sinful thing, to turn away from it and move in the opposite direction. It's about change. And those two things need to go together because let's say that... Uh, I admit to you, yes, what I said, what I did to you was wrong. I was in the wrong, but I don't stop doing it. That's a problem. Or let's say that I repent. I stop doing uh, the wrong thing, but I never confess it to you. Like I, if you, you stop having the affair, that's good. But if you don't confess it, how, how is there ever going to be healing and reconciliation if you lie about it, even if you've ended it? So these two things work together. Confession and repentance are important that they run the same tracks together. 
But then there's this idea of reconciliation. Reconciliation is a restored relationship. It's about making things right. It's about restoring trust, which isn't easy, which can take a long time, but that's what reconciliation is all about, restoring a relationship and rebuilding trust. When a relationship, let's say this is our relationship, if a relationship is broken, if it is torn apart by something, the highest and best thing that could possibly happen in that situation is for there to be reconciliation, for that to come back together and be restored. But in order for reconciliation to happen, if a relationship is broken apart, two things are necessary. There needs to be forgiveness, and there also needs to be this confession and and repentance. Both things are necessary in order for there to be a restored relationship. And sometimes it looks like this. Sometimes there's, there's forgiveness, there's confession, repentance, and it comes together, and it's kind of like here. And it takes a long time to get to here. It takes a long time sometimes to rebuild trust and to make that bond again tight and secure. But if either one of those things is not offered, if forgiveness is not offered, if repentance Confession is not offered. You can't have reconciliation. And this is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross as a sacrificial payment for our sin debt, the sin debt that we owe to God, the sin debt that we cannot pay on our own without the blood-bought payment that, that Jesus made on the cross for us. And so Jesus already did His part in this reconciliation. The forgiveness part has already been paid for. And he stepped into that space with the offer of forgiveness. But before you and I can be made right with God, before you and I can be reconciled to God, we have to bring the confession to admit that I'm in the wrong. I'm a sinner separated from a holy God and I need a Savior to bring the repentance, to choose to walk away from a life of sin and to follow Jesus and to accept. Here's the forgiveness. To accept by faith that this forgiveness, this grace of God is being offered and that it's genuine and that it's real. And when those two things come together, we have reconciliation, a restored relationship with God. We go back and take all of those terms, forgiveness and repentance, confession, reconciliation, take all of those ideas and let's go back to our original question. Do I, do I have to forgive someone who doesn't ask for it? Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus was teaching us how to pray, at the end of that, he, he says, If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So yes, we are taught by Jesus 
that we need to forgive. What did we see in in the other verse, uh, that we are to love our enemies, bless those who persecute us, pray for those who abuse us. So we know, we, we know what, we, uh, what, what God expects of us, and it's hard to live out. Let's just be honest about that, that it, this is not easy. It's hard to live that out. And if you are struggling with that right now, if you are struggling with this idea of, of forgiveness and reconciliation, and you're kind of in that space right now, I'm about to ruin your day even worse. Because sometimes we treat forgiveness as if it is some kind of therapeutic exercise for our own benefit. Sometimes we make forgiveness all about ourselves, a way to make ourselves feel better. I don't want to go through life angry and bitter and ruin my own life. I don't care about reconciliation. I just don't want to ruin my own day. Sometimes we close the door to the possibility of reconciliation and there's no eager desire in us for the other side of that equation to come. We don't care. We're not interested in their confession or their repentance because we're not interested in reconciliation. All we're interested in is not feeling bad And so sometimes we use forgiveness as a therapeutic method to cope with our anger. That's not not gospel-centered forgiveness. On the plane ride home from Turkey, 11 hours, super boring. I I can't sleep on a plane. They're just kind of torturous, but I watched... I watched a movie, uh, Mr. Rogers. Have you seen this movie about Mr. Rogers? No, who's Mr. Rogers? Now, if you're my age and older, you remember Mr. Rogers, uh, this children's program uh, that was on. Uh, I guess it would be seen as kind of hokey today, but uh, there's a movie about him and a man of faith and made a, made a real difference in children's lives. Uh, anyway, this, this movie... Is, I'll tell you two things about it. One, I'll say if you if if you're if you're on a plane in public and you don't want other people to see you crying, don't watch that movie. Like if that's kind of your like I don't want other people to see me crying, this is not the movie for you. At least in that moment. Anyway, uh, the other thing I want to say about it is is you would think, at least I did, went into it with the expectation that it was about him and his life, and he certainly is a feature in the film for sure. But the storyline is about a man named Lloyd who had been wronged severely by his father. And he was struggling with bitterness in his life. His father, later in life, wants to reconcile. His father, later in life, brings confession, brings repentance, wants reconciliation with his son, and his son wants nothing to do with it. And I wonder if you've ever experienced things like this in life where, okay, maybe I'll forgive to the point 
where uh, I'm not ruining my own life like a therapy to deal with my own anger, but I don't, you're dead to me. Not living out the gospel. And I can relate to that. I've, I've, had, I've had experiences in my own life like that. Experiences where, where I think, if I was being honest, I've used for, forgiveness as a therapy to cope with my anger without any interest in reconciliation. That's not living out the gospel. The reality is that reconciliation may not happen. There are some cases when reconciliation, you may want it, and you may desire it, and you may step into that space with forgiveness, and it's just, it still doesn't happen. That, that's a real possibility, and there's lots of reasons why reconciliation may not take place. And sometimes when it does, it's like this, like it's, it's kind of hanging on there for a while because it takes a long time or trust to rebuild and to mend the relationship. These are messy things. They're not just so, uh, so simple that, oh, just, just forgive, and they'll say I'm sorry, and everything's good again. That, that's not how life works. But if we've truly forgiven someone, we should have some desire for it. It may not happen, but we should have on some level this desire for reconciliation and kind of... Uh, I would put it this way, that we hope that it happens. It may not, but I would like it if it did. Otherwise, we're just turning forgiveness into this self-centered mental exercise to cope with our own anger. When I was in Colossae last week, which is kind of bizarre to even say that out loud, I'll give you a quick layout of what you're looking at here. So this is the hill going up to that. Uh, that's me on top of the hill. And you'll notice, it's like that doesn't look like much because it's all under the ground. Colossae's not been ex- uh, excavated yet. Okay? It's not been restored like some of the other places that I'll show you in June. So the city is, is underneath that mound. And then see all those orchards around? That city underneath that, that's Colossae. And... The reason it has not been excavated is the owner of this refuses to let anyone mess with it until he dies. Now, there's two reasons. Our tour guide uh, knows the, the area, knows people, and he, he said there's two reasons why he d- is not letting anyone touch this until he's dead. Number one, well, he still has an active orchard there. He doesn't want people tearing up you know, his plants because there's a city underneath that. Second reason, which I found interesting, kind of ironic for our topic today, uh, he and the city manager have had some kind of issue, and he doesn't want that guy touching his ground. So anyway, there's a city underneath there. The reason I bring it up, not only because of the the relationship dynamic between these two men, while while we were standing there, we talked about a broken relationship between two men from this city. Two men, one named Philemon, one named Onesimus. Philemon was a slave owner, a very wealthy slave owner who uh, went to Rome, 
met Paul, heard the gospel, came to be a follower of Jesus. He was a leader in the church of Colossae. Most likely, they they met in his house because he was wealthy. Onesimus was one of his slaves. Onesimus, at one point, robbed Philemon, stole stuff, and then ran away, ran off to Rome. Met Paul, heard the gospel, met Jesus, became a follower of Christ, and then ministered to Paul when he was on house arrest. And at some point in their conversations between Onesimus and Paul, Paul says to him, Onesimus, you need to go back to Colossae and you need to make things right with Philemon. He's a a believer in Christ. You're a believer in Christ. You are brothers in Christ. And that relationship needs to be reconciled. Nothing about that sounds easy to me. There's not a part of that that sounds like, oh, no no big deal. And so Paul writes this letter to, to Philemon. You have it recorded in your Bible. And, and the essence of the letter, and you can read it, the, the essence of the letter is uh, Onesimus is a brother in Christ. You are a brother in Christ, and you need to receive him back and forgive him, and there needs to be reconciliation. What? See, this is gospel forgiveness that we're talking about. This is what Christ has done for us, and this is how we, this is how we are to live uh, when it comes to the issues, the tough, messy issues of forgiveness and reconciliation and repentance. Confession, right? we have forgiveness, we have confession and repentance. When they come together, there's something beautiful that takes place that looks like the gospel. I want to finish with just three simple thoughts that I think will be helpful. Number one, I would say that we can all agree that sin is painful, that sin is destructive. And when you are on the receiving end of it, it hurts really bad. Let's just recognize that and declare that to be true. I don't have to convince you of that. You've lived it. But I want to say this to you that that we should never forget that Jesus understands that. He understands the pain that you are experiencing because He also experienced the pain of betrayal, physical pain, mocking and people just treating Him like garbage. He he understands because He experienced it. He's felt it too. So you can talk to Him honestly about it knowing that He gets what you're feeling. So when you are asking Him for help, not just to forgive, but when you are asking Him for this help to want a future reconciliation, when you don't really want one, but to put within you, Lord, help, put within me a desire for reconciliation someday. It's not there. I don't feel it. I don't want it. Help me with that. You can know that when you pray that prayer that Jesus understands how hard that is. The second thing I would say is this. If you're someone that doesn't yet know Christ, that you haven't yet trusted Christ as your Savior, and maybe part of the reason is 
you're having a hard time getting over this threshold of faith to believe that he could really forgive you. Like, you look at your life and you think, there's no way that God would ever forgive me. You, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand the things that, that, uh, that are in my past, to which I would say this. I want you to go back to the cross, and I want you to have this picture in your mind that Jesus is, is hanging, dying, suffocating, being tortured, and he was willing to forgive, to offer forgiveness to the people standing there who were responsible for it. I'm not talking about like years later after it kind of got over it for a while. In the moment when it was happening, he was willing to forgive. If he was willing to forgive them, you can be confident he is more than willing. You can trust that he would forgive and will forgive you if you confess and repent of your sin. And the third thing I would say is this, as we, as we get ready to go out into this week, I wonder if it's possible that you are that paralyzed guy in the sense that you desperately want Jesus to fix something in your life. There's something going on in your life. You don't like it. It's unpleasant. And you pray and you're asking God to fix it, to resolve it, to remove it. And you don't yet realize that Jesus wants to use that very thing to make you aware of some spiritual needs in your life that only Jesus can resolve. Is it possible that, that yes, uh, uh, th this thing is unpleasant and, and it may be that God in, in His grace will remove it or resolve it or fix it, but in the meantime, what does He want to do through it in your life? What spiritual needs does He want to, to resolve and, and show you that He's your only hope of those spiritual things taking place and being resolved through Him? I wonder if you've prayed that, like as you pray and ask God, nothing wrong with asking God to remove this and fix this and resolve this. That's good. We should do that. But as you're praying that, also pray, Lord, I don't like this. It's not fun. I'm praying and I'm begging you to fix it. But in the meantime, would you please show me? Would you please show me what I'm supposed to learn? Show me what you want to do in my heart. Show me what you want to do in my life through this. I don't want to miss it. See how different that prayer is? These things aren't easy. These things can be messy, and sometimes they take a long time to clean up. But I want you to try to remember this image, the most beautiful thing that can happen, the, the, the most gospel-centered thing that can happen when a relationship is torn apart is for there to be forgiveness, to step forward with forgiveness, to step forward with confession and repentance, or relationship to be restored. This is living out the gospel. Not easy, messy, hard, sometimes takes a long time to mend. But in God's grace, he's, he's, Jesus showed us that it can happen.